Welcome to the podcast. Attack for 20. Today's uh, episode six. Yes. Uh, today's episode might be a little bit rough. Uh, just uh, more, more pauses, etc. We're actually about to fly out in less than 10 hours. <laughs> We're going to Amsterdam, then Utrecht for the calling. And uh, I don't even know if our decks have been built in paper yet so yeah i gotta <laughs> i gotta scrounge together the cards so last minute podcast um we want to talk finish the series i guess the yep yeah today we're well i guess we should talk. always start with the customary hey how was your last week what'd you do oh man dude we did a lot of we did a lot of opening of <laughs> packs yesterday yeah we opened like three cases of german history pack and it was great made uh, some money um we did a lot of drafts. Uh, yeah. A lot of our local stores ran oh, a lot of drafts, which was pretty good practice, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we did not win the draft RTN. Did I didn't even top eight. <laughs> uh, yeah. So maybe, maybe if you're listening to this podcast, you should reconsider who you, who you listen to. <laughs> mm. Yeah. No, no, um, but um, I thought I thought it was kind of interesting. Um, there's some things that I learned from from at the draft thing. Actually, I wanted to kind of talk about um, the RTN draft experience. Sure. Because a lot of the things that we talk about on this podcast, um, I think is also like it's meant to inform, but it's also uh, some of the things that we say might only like apply most specifically to like drafting if you're drafting at a table of people who are also trying to like draft at a very high level. And um, somebody had a had a Twitter post. I don't want to mention who, but uh, just like talking about how they're a little bit frustrated at, at drafting at uh, tables where maybe people were a little bit less skilled or, or less um, informed about like what the right and wrong picks, whatever, are. And I think you have to like change your mindset a little bit. Um, like you have to. You have to draft with the understanding of you have to try to like figure out like what, what what they're thinking you know what i mean even if it seemingly like it doesn't make sense uh yeah i guess that's fair um i think like my best this is something you taught me or we kind of talked about it i guess i don't know but uh the more like you don't know the people that you're drafting with mm -hmm. and you maybe suspect that they're a little bit newer to the draft or maybe don't know exactly what they're doing i think like well, you and i have it yeah just yeah, like just like if they if they don't like value like the, what we value as like the high priority picks yeah yeah well it just makes it so that we have to like try to be a little bit more open yeah a little bit more uh ultimately that that almost always translates me drafting Phi or Icelander, <laughs> it's like a or Icelander. Like it's not always Phi. Like it's often sometimes Icelander because I'm I'm saying open right, and then it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. pack one, pick seven, and it's like one generic card and six Icelander cards left. Yeah, but you just have mm -hmm. to yeah. Like you get, I think you get really rewarded when you're in pods that are like that, that are a little bit um either people have like very strong opinions, like they're forcing a hero, yeah, um or they're relatively like newer to the format. Mm -hmm. Um, like what I find is people who are newer to the format will typically zone in on a hero. They're, they're, they mean, they may not necessarily be forcing it. They might just open like an alt art, like rewind or something. And they just like, I just want wizard cards now. Yep. Um, like once you've identified the open lane, the, that open lane is often like very open. Yeah, I, actually <laughs> it's pretty interesting. So, uh, I think during the beginning of the format, I thought that it's like very hard to stay open just cause like you run out of playables um yeah but actually uh and we'll talk about this a little bit later but you, there are ways that you can draft that kind of open up um the number of playables that you that you have available to you um, yeah even when and it's not necessarily drafting like generics either like yeah. sometimes you do draft the like, powerful cards and all the heroes and you end up in a like pick one pack seven situation where you could still be an any hero but you're gonna burn some picks and that's life that's fine yeah i think most notably at the rtn i think i had an opportunity i did like my count and so it's like uh at the time in my first draft pod i uh after pack one is done and we're starting to pack two i was in the review period i found out that i if i burned only if i didn't burn like any picks like if i burn like four picks total for the rest of the draft i could go into icelander or i could burn eight picks and go into five 
but I also could have potentially burned like uh seven or eight picks and been Dromai. I didn't count, and that was actually probably like the right call for that table. I ended up going five. But did you mean like seven additional cards or you No no I, I could I could waste seven picks and still have like no, a no bobble stack. This is going into pack two. Yeah, yeah, going into pack two. Okay, so, so in other words, seven of the picks from your pack one were burned. Uh right. no, because I was planning to play Phoenix Flames if, if I went into Draconic. Okay, but like how many more picks could you have burned? And I could, I could have burned seven picks. Additional I, cards yeah, yeah. in pack two and three. Oh, yeah, yeah that's yeah, very yeah. good. Yeah, okay, yeah. I understand. Yeah, so basically, uh, it's just, uh, because I drafted a lot of Phoenix Flame um, cards in pack yep. one. And so it's just like I got additional picks out of it. Yeah, yeah. And that's something that we're definitely going to talk about as we talk about like dra drafting Fi. Yeah. Um, I think we just have one other note before we go to pros cons of drafting Fi. And that's uh, just a couple more learnings. Every week we do something where we open packs and yeah, basically we open packs <laughs> and we learn a little bit more about the box breakdown, the pack breakdown. Oh yeah, let's, let's um, not be dishonest. So basically we're opening packs because we just like opening packs and I want, <laughs> I want the cards. And just so happens, I was like, okay, well, well, if we open the box, might as well just take a picture of all the equipments that we opened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't being dishonest. I was just saying we were opening boxes. Okay, anyway, so we found out that each box, each box roughly has like two of each common equipment mm -hmm. with a few having three. Yeah, and this is like pretty, um, this is pretty stable. It, it's like very rarely do you get only one of a certain equipment. Yep. Sometimes like depending if you get like a foil. Uh, I saw one of the packs, there's like four glacial horns. Yeah. Well, if, if we're just counting the non-foils, it's roughly two of each. Like mm -hmm. you should expect at least two of each with like two to three of the common equipments having potentially three. Yep. And uh, this, is, I think, is like an intentional decision uh, by LSS. I'm actually going to ask the tournament organizers when we get to Utrecht. And then also, I think um, it would be good to like get an idea um, for your local nationals or whatever, like how they do it. Uh, especially when the packs have to be kind of like, um, like the, they have to replace the double face cards for the professional level drafts to just yeah. like make sure that the packs for each pod all come from the same box. Yeah. Because it could get really janky if they mix up like 96 packs from a case and then just like divvy it up to two four different pods because you get a pod that just has like six sash of sandy kai <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i and i think that if it, I, I think it's a fair question to ask the to because it, it should affect like your expectations of like what cards yep. you're gonna yep. get yep. i think it's fine if they do it as long as it's like well i don't know like if since we have this knowledge now i feel like we can like play around it and we can figure it out yeah yeah um, i i would I rather like, that know. they don't do it because i think that the way that they lss designed how the packs are collated is, yeah. is intended to give like if, if you have like an even talent. spread yeah if you have like an even spread of heroes yeah, yeah. that everybody gets yeah. like some equipments yeah i agree i agree and i think it does reward you guys for one listening to our podcast and two maybe making these uh conclusions and, and these realizations yourself when you're opening boxes and cases and mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah collation like this especially i think in flesh and blood also goes beyond just equipments. I didn't take pictures of the class commons, but I think you can also assume, um, in my experience from opening boxes, uh, you always get like at least like one, one or two of each common, um, every box for that each you open. Pitch too. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. each pitch. So yeah. it just like ends up being that, um, and we'll probably do like a, a whole episode on this. It, it kind of affects, uh, if you it, it starts letting letting you draft at a higher level where you're just like. Okay, I know I haven't seen like this card uh, at all. Uh, maybe like somebody picked it uh, that didn't pass to me, but it's also like pretty likely that there's going to be like one open later. Yeah. Um, let's just come back to this later. I think we've talked about it enough yeah. um, and just jump straight to pros and cons of drafting Phi. Mm -hmm. um, also have some of the pros. Yeah. Pros, I think the biggest pro is honestly just, it had, Phi is the lowest requirement to draft. He has... Like the three Phoenix Flames and Phi is like the most synergistic. It's just a lot better than three Phoenix Flames and Dromai almost like 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. So lowest card requirement. 
and also lowest requirement in the sense that almost all of the five cards are like playable cards. Like there are no, they're very, I can't even think of an embarrassing like five card to play. Like, I don't know, like yellow rebellious rush. Like, like they're all like, even, they all have like, even, the, even yellow rebellious rush, I think. Yeah. Cause that can actually like pitch. Like, I don't know. They're, they're all just like, it's not like Dromai and Icelander. Um, Cause like, you know, you mentioned, or you want to talk about. Oh yeah. Yuki, uh, Yuki, uh, Lee Bender uh, made a, article on FabTCG, which also talks about um, drafting. And one of the things that she uh, wrote an article that is actually um, pretty good, uh, there's something that I don't think that we covered uh, exactly, is that in in a lot of Flesh and Blood drafts, when you're drafting the cards, you're also like kind of drafting with the understanding that um, like certain matchups have to be considered in mind. And so this affects like there's a lot of cards in the set, which at least for like the other two classes that are better or worse in certain situations. So Singe is pretty obviously like Red Singe is great against Dromai yep. because you get to kill like the little Ash Wings when they rake. Otherwise, it's like really difficult for you to deal with them. But like that card is just not that good against Fi. It's like a red card that only does one damage. Yep. Yep. Uh, Skittering Sands, if you're playing Dromai. Uh, is sometimes like unplayable against Icelander. Like you're just like the only thing that it does is it make it converts an Ashring and then it lets you um, what's it called? Start like your dragons. Uh, it gives them go again, but like you don't really want to attack with the four power Ashring. Maybe at the end it's okay, of your yeah, turn. Yeah. But it's just like some some things like that where there's some cards that are just like much better in a, a subset of the matchups, uh, than the others. And the five just like doesn't really have to deal with any of this. There, there are just not that many cards that you look at and it's a Phi card and you're like, this is a pure sideboard card. Like the Phi sideboard cards for like Icelander is like Oasis or Spit, which is like a common generic. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. yeah. Um, the other point is, and it's kind of a combination of the first two, Phi has lowest requirements to draft, least embarrassing cards to play. Because of this, the floor for a Phi deck in draft is not that low it's it's actually quite high like mm -hmm. like even just a normal deck you have you you're you know you have a lot more yellows and blues than maybe the other five decks that are cutting you yep. you still have a very playable deck yeah i remember uh at the rtn actually my five deck i ended up having to play one cracked bobble and three phoenix flames yeah I still like made it like to the finals or whatever it's just like yeah. sometimes i just like don't draw the cracked bobble it's just like yep yep I think the last point, honestly, with Fi is he's probably the most straightforward, the easiest to pilot. Like, honestly, playing him just reminds me of, like, Welcome to Wraith when I was, like, trying to teach people how to play the game. Oh, yeah, you got your iron um, deck. You just do your, you do your attack, your weapon yeah. attack, and then you do your... Yep, yep. He has a very easy-to-understand flow. All right, cons. Yes. Uh, I'll start with one, and then I'll, I'll pass it to you. Sure. Uh, I think the most... I'm not sure if this is the worst con, but you're never going to be the only five. Like, it's just like almost guaranteed you're never going to be the only five drafter at the table. Yeah, it um, has happened rarely, but I think yeah. more often than not, it's because a bunch of people just love Icelander and Dromai. Yeah, yeah. Irrationally. Yeah. Like, I, it's just, it's not going to happen. So you, you're always going to be fighting at least one of the five <laughs> drafter typically. Yep. Um. And I don't know if this is the right place to put it, but that's kind of one of the reasons why we like drafting like Sash and Heatwave really highly, mm -hmm. because unlike Spellfire Cloak and whatever, we're, we're, you're never going to wield those cards. You're you're fighting someone else for them. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll pass it to you. Yeah, uh, the ceiling of a Fi deck because Fi, because all of Fi's cards uh, are kind of like Jack of All Trades kind of cards, and you basically. Uh, it's hard for you to generate like crazy value. Most of your cards just like go maybe like zero to one points above like the normal curve. And when I say the normal curve, I mean like the head jab, it just has three. That's like the normal curve of a card. And then so you go plus one when you pitch a blue and then you use two and you attack with your weapon. So you just get like plus one every turn. And then if you grab your Phoenix Man for free, then you got another plus one. Um, that's it. Like. Uh, you don't have a situation like uh, in Dromai where if you've amassed like a certain board and you're 
opponent can't kill all your dragons, then every turn they're accruing like three, four points of value, right? Yep. You don't have yep. the situation where uh, when you're playing Icelander and you get to like maybe play like a red Arctic incarceration against somebody, their hand is like all reds. You just like one for three them. Like they they can't like do anything with their turn. They just their four yep. card hand is three. Yeah. Um, yep. Or zero. Like they might not be able to do anything. Yeah. yeah. And so it's yeah. just like uh, there, there are certain situations with the other two heroes that let you just like kind of um, take over the game very like easily. And for Phi, like there are some pretty crazy combat chains that you can get into, but I think those are like much more the exception rather than the, than the norm. The norm of like how like your Phi deck is going to look, especially comboed with um, what Michael said earlier that it's going to be like a little bit more overdrafted. So you're not going to get like necessarily all the power cards. You're just going to get like a bunch of go again cards and then maybe some of the power cards. Yep. Um, Fi doesn't block very well. Almost all of yeah. his like quote unquote good cards block two, so all of his like go again attacks block two. Uh, and you yeah. you typically like are gonna be drafting like go again cards in both red and blue pitches, and so yeah, it's, yeah. yeah it just doesn't block that well. Uh, and it's hard to come back. Uh because you don't have like anything that really just like gains like a ton of value like so you need to just like you need to be like very smart about like when it is that you can that you have to take the hit like you got to take the hit here because you want to like get value uh or you want you want to like maximize like the amount of damage that you can do to put your opponent into a position where they can't attack you back yeah your ceiling is just lower and you can't really block so if you want to turn the corner you had to have you know have that life buffer mm -hmm. and it's really hard to come back like the moment you're kind of in the lower life total you just like there's the very few like crazy things you can do to like come back from the game yeah uh and i think the worst honestly the worst con i think a lot of people echo this on twitter as well yeah is it just feels so disadvantageous to lose the dice roll and are and be forced to go first um mm -hmm. in the five mirror particularly the, five, the, the other two matchups it's not as bad yeah First or second, but if you are going first in the five mirror and you can't like get value in your first turn, you can't arsenal a good card. It, you're just like so far behind. I feel it's actually it's pretty like, funny yeah. because I think like the worst your five deck, you're the worst that your draft went, where you just like end up like you just have a bunch of like red brothers in arms and blue brothers in arms and like oasis respites that you got to play into the five mirror. Yeah, and then you play like oh you pick like a quelling slippers early. Or like you have a Quelling Robe instead of a Sasha Sandy Kai, and you have like more blues than normal. I think those actually kind of benefit you for going first because you do have access to like the more like defensive oriented cards. You can block a little bit better, yeah. Even just like having like Sigil Protection Red, Oasis, sorry, uh, Healing Bomb Red, like cards that are like a little bit lower in the totem pole yeah. for like drafting five. Like, yeah, I do agree that the worst your deck is uh, sometimes you can like make going first not as bad. Yeah. But I pretty sure it's just always a disadvantage yeah, yeah i agree yeah <clears throat> okay so now that you understand what the pros and cons are so what what how do you like actually go about like the process of drafting phi like what are the cards that you should pick yeah and, <clears throat> I, and I like that uh the first thing we should actually talk about is just like what is your end deck supposed to look like and i think um most of the decks that we've drafted uh, the the first checkbox actually is kind of funny. It's just the number of blues. Like this isn't like uh, you know, I don't even know what other drafts are like. But like you need blues, like you need to be pitching blues to maximize the damage in your turns. You know, you want to attack with reds for sure. But like yeah, well, let's talk you about, also have to pitch blues. Let's talk about why that is. And I think part of it is because Fi's weapon, Searing Emberblade, is so good. Yep. Uh, it lets you convert two resources into three damage. So yep. if you can convert the last resource into one damage, then your blue essentially did four damage. And yep. sometimes there are cards in the set, like Critical Strike, that let you convert the one resource into two damage. So, yep. your, so your blue basically functions as like a four to five damage card in every hand, yep. like the first yep. blue. Yep, exactly. Uh, the, the blue versus a red, if you have the picture red, like you can do the exact same turn that you would have done you just miss out on three entire points of damage, which is like a lot. That's an entire card. Yeah. Uh, so you like you just need blues. Like they're weird to draft. Like the you know whatever. We're, we'll talk about that like 
like right away but like um every blue you have in the deck actually is quite meaningful Mm -hmm. to the point where like i often like have like almost like a one-to-one ratio with my blues and my red starters and my reds oh yeah Um, all my decks just end up like that because like it's a lot easier to pick up blues kind of on the second cycle of the pack yeah and you still get as many reds so even if you're like literally prioritizing the red starters like uh rising resentment the red head jab series and the red leg tap series like even if you prioritize those really highly you'll often still get the blues but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be picking up blues when you get the opportunity yeah uh and like you said you you want about the same so eight to ten blues maybe yeah. like a couple more depending if you drafted like a couple of rebellious rushes up yeah, to like yeah. like maybe yeah. like 11 12 you uh, having more blues is actually kind of beneficial for the icelander matchup exactly and then exactly. eight starter eight eight like quality starters at least um yeah. so it can be like red red head jabs red like taps you can mix in maybe like one or two rebellious rush or engulfing flame wave is obviously better than rebellious rush yeah um yeah. i mean that you, one is like a, every time i have a sash of sanikai i'm okay oh, playing yeah, yeah. one yeah yeah but even i think uh this is something that i want to talk about even if some of your like your starters are yellow starters i think that like fits into like the the mold so yeah. like if you have like six reds and two yellows whatever like you, you miss out on two points of damage yeah you know yeah. what i mean yeah. um you need you want like f- i put the number as being like five to six finishers finishers, fi- finishers yeah. being cards that don't really have go again so stuff like critical strike Breaking point, which to me is just the same t- card as Critical Strike. Uh, uh, you have Lava Burst. Uh, I forget the name of the one that does three and then two, which is just like another Critical Strike to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, sometimes yeah, cards that let you like plus effectively plus two. Yeah, yeah, with your resource um, or plus one, I guess depending on the math. Uh, reward you for having like Rupture and kind of just being able to efficiently use your resources. Mm-hmm. Oh, Stoke uh, the Flames. Yep, Stoke the Flames. You definitely want a few um, because those are that's where you get value, especially particularly in the mirror Yep. where it's like everything's just about like maximizing damage, blocking three, attacking for four, like little things like that. Yep. Um, yeah, so let's, let's talk about like what the draft experience should look like now that we have an idea of what your deck should look like at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we talked about blues being important, but that doesn't like, like, but that doesn't mean that they're like the best, right? Like the best cards you want to be starting with are the red go against starters. These are the cards that you want to like every single turn. You want to be pitching a blue yeah. and attacking the red starter. I, um, I want. I think I want to add a caveat. I think the red go again starters are probably like the best cards to pick once you've cemented that you oh, are yes. in five. Yes, right. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So actually, let's talk about now i think navigating the beginning of the draft is probably the most challenging yep. part for if you are going to end up drafting phi uh yep. and kind of why that is a lot of the um quote unquote like high priority blues or sorry high priority generics uh that that at least i think in the in the what is like currently accepted so stuff like um poppers stuff like oasis respite to me don't fit neatly into like what you want in your final five deck in terms of adding total power and i think drafting like red brothers in arms is fine especially because if you can get a sash of sandakai you can like kind of like pump into it but there's a lot of the times when you look at the pack there's like a strategic planning like whatever like the pack is just going to look pretty bad for five it's just going to be like three generics or ice cards that don't like exactly fit into your deck maybe like an equipment that doesn't like really fit there's like a quelling robe or something and then you have like i don't know two blue five cards yeah uh, or a blue and a yellow yeah and if you if you get past these if you get past packs that look like this uh you gotta like do your count and, and kind of figure out what your opponent has has been picking but or your, the other people at your table have been picking but it just because the packs look bad doesn't mean that other people are picking the good fight cards. Sometimes yep. there's just no good fight cards in the packs. Yep. yep. And and so you want to... That was, I think, what, Michael, you were alluding to earlier. Like, 
actually taking the blue there is like really really solid if you want to like kind of like put yourself into five yeah it's a box you're gonna have to check at some point in the game and or the draft and so picking a couple of those when you've kind of decided you want to be fi mm -hmm. it's like very helpful for your draft it's all it's a basically the same thing as picking up a red yeah um, in terms of like you know getting to the end goal of getting to that nice uh draft deck um but i did like you did talk about something in the notes at least that was that i thought was it may not be like too like like crazy of an idea yeah, like yeah. i'm pretty sure if we say it you guys are gonna be like oh yeah that's like very obvious yeah. um but for us it's been kind of like a a development like we didn't we weren't so high yeah. on the kind of the draconic cards that are synergy synergized with the phoenix flames yeah yeah um early days with draft and that's just because we didn't want to play phoenix flames yep like we wanted to just play like a one phoenix flame deck mm -hmm. and just have like lots of value everything else yeah i think um i think there's two reasons why we've kind of flipped the switch on that and we like now we're like happy to pick like flame call awakening has always been like pretty good yep um, but even flame call awakening kind of makes it that you have to be playing at least one extra phoenix flame yeah right um the others are also like like stoke the flames is like the same thing you might just have to like actually stoke was like maybe our favorite because you only you didn't have to play any extra phoenix flames right you could just yep. close a chain stoke mm -hmm. Um, but I think one of the reasons why we have shifted a little bit more towards these draconics is, um, and we kind of alluded to it at the beginning of the podcast, but we want to stay a little bit more open. Yeah. In the first few picks, um, these draconic, uh, we're, we call these like draconic cards that synergize with Phoenix Flames. So yeah. Flame Call Awakening is, of course, the best of the series. Yep. So Flames is good. Mm -hmm. um, what is the other one? The one that. There's, you block with it oh flame board retribution yeah like that one is also a little bit like suspect but hey you know it's kind of that same fifth check some of those boxes still where you, you're still kind of open it's not the most embarrassing to play it yeah um, let's actually can, talk like, about yeah. the math let's talk about the math behind that card so i think at yeah. the very beginning of when we were doing our like a review that will never be published yeah <laughs> That card just seemed terrible because we were only thinking about using it on offense. I was yeah. like, why would you ever block with a two-block card? But if you have an extra Phoenix Flame in your graveyard, so let's say you have two Phoenix Flames in your graveyard, and like realistically, you're not gonna like pitch a blue to like pick one up. Uh, when you, you can, you got to block for two damage, and yeah. then you get to grab your Phoenix Flame back, assuming you took some other damage that turn. Yeah. If you have any kind of Draconic starter at all to like go with your turn then that phoenix flame that you picked up is worth one point of damage so you block yeah. two you get one point of damage it's it's like a three block and you get another opportunity to heat wave for two yep exactly yep um yeah so uh what we're trying to say is uh we think that if you're if even if you're kind of wanting to force fi which mm -hmm. i don't even think is a bad idea honestly anymore yeah um Picking like those draconic cards is is, is kind of bad. It's kind of good for you. Um, yeah. We also just think that like, you know, having like a two or three Phoenix Flame Fi deck is is not bad. Like it's it's a it's a three O a bowl deck. Yeah. And maybe yeah. for you guys as as our listeners, that's just like yeah, obviously. But like, <laughs> we did not think that at the beginning while we were drafting. The the other thing that I want to add, and this is kind of like um with our draw my episode, some of the things that we talked about. So when we went over Dromai, we mentioned that like the Phoenix Flame tier of cards was actually like serviceable for a decent Dromai deck. Yeah. At the time, uh, at the very beginning, I didn't think that that was the case. So now when you pick like these Phoenix Flame synergy cards, you have to also kind of um, factor in the fact that if you do end up, if these cards enable you to like play like maybe two or three Phoenix Flames into your deck, it's kind of like putting an extra like two or three playables like picking an extra like one to two playables for Phi and then an extra two to three playables for Dromai throughout the course of the thing. And it's just like fear crack bubbles that you have to play. Yep. Uh, and that's actually, that's like a real value, uh, especially if you're at a table where people are pivoting a little bit more, where yep. like the overall number of like picks that you get um, for that go into your final deck for everyone is a little bit less. Yeah. 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 And even if you're like the most open, people are going to hate pick cards out of your hero 
if like there's like four Dromai or four Icelander and only like one or two Fi. Like, yeah, there's just no cards that they can pick. They they cannot pick a card for their deck. Yeah, <laughs> they're just gonna take your cards. It's just gonna happen, and and it's not even like the bad play for them, right? If they have no playables, they're gonna take the most powerful card and mm-hmm. deny someone. Yep. So, hmm. great. Um, so more about drafting Fi. Uh, I think the the fundamentals of bread and butter. Our podcast would be remiss to not talk about this kind of stuff. Is um prioritization on the actual red starters yeah um i think the easiest thing to get out of the way is the rebellious rush and engulfing flame wave line are a little bit weaker yes um in comparison to their own like rares and common so the engulfing flame wave is obviously pretty solid mm-hmm. um i could see taking it early yeah but i would almost always take a zero for three or one for four over it mm-hmm. that's like a personal decision if i don't have a sash at that point yeah um it's just because of the way engulfing flame wave and rebellious rush that these are the two resource five attack go against in red. Yeah. The way they're like templated, like you're not going to be able to get a weapon swing off of a blue without a sash of Sandy Kai. Yeah. Usually so yeah, they're almost just like to, inefficient. Yeah. The turn has to involve like a, a, like a blue and a yellow or two blues that you're yep. pushing. Yep. And yep. then kind of then in order to like max the damage, then you need to like also be playing like more like one cost cards. Mm-hmm. so and for example like if you go uh you know you pitch a blue you come in for four go again soaring strike for example then you can come in with a weapon that's a two card seven yep but if you come in with engulfing and you have one resource floating like the best you can do at that point is come in with the uh what's that card uh critical strike or like a breaking point yeah. for another five so it's five so it's three card uh ten which is good which is not bad, but seven divided by two is three point five, and ten divided by three is three point three three, and so even then you're you know you're not like it's just a little bit less good, right? Well, it and- depends. So like, <clears throat> and this is like a point that I that I was uh, I mentioned, kind of like in passing. So three card tens are actually pretty good, but the problem yeah. with that. Like analogy is that in your two card seven situation, you got to block with two cards. Yeah. So if you have like this like setup where you have the rebellious rush and the critical strike, you cannot block with like a second card out of your hand and have like an okay turn. Yeah. Yeah. Agree. Yeah. I'm just assuming that every card you block, you're you're also getting max value of three. So you know. Yeah. 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 So yeah. I, no, but I, I understand. In either situation, kind of like it's forced, like ten. But... Yeah, that is true. So you're basically forced to play that, uh, the two for five because blocking with this is just like not good. Yeah, yeah. And the moment you're forced to play that one because you still have a floating resource, you have to keep another card where like ideally maybe that card's in your arsenal, but it has to be somewhere. Yeah. For you to like not get completely juiced on that turn basically yeah so it's you're a little bit more restricted in what you can do yeah it's less modular so <laughs> i think that's why you'll often see like a red rebellious rush kind of you know go around the table like yep. that's just that's expected yeah um now the only kind of like prioritization after that is the zero resource go again line and the one resource go again line yep and I- i'm it's like for me, it's not even close. Like the zero resource go again line is like just like so much better for me than the one resource. Like I will always take the zero resource go again mm-hmm. over a one resource go again, unless it's mounting anger, which is the rare. Oh yeah, one yeah. go again. Yeah, but mounting that is anger is like a one for five if it hits. Yeah, often a, a one for five. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I I agree. I think having the zeros just gives you a little bit more modularity. Yep. Like you were saying, if you have two zeros then you can pitch a blue and do zero, zero, weapon, Phoenix Flame. If yeah, you, you can have pitch a yellow, actually. In that, yeah, if you have a one cost. Yeah. yeah, if you have a one cost, you can play it at the end. Yeah. If your opponent gives you a Frostbite, you could still do like the same normal turn. If you have a yellow instead of a blue, you can still do your regular turn. Yep. And you're going to have one cost like cards in your deck. It's just like... It's just gonna, you're going to have your Cinder Skin Devotions, your uh, whatever... Soaring strikes. Yeah, game loyalty. Yeah. Is the zero. Um, the other thing that I really like about the zeros is they um, withhold information. So you can just start with it. They don't know if you have a blue in your hand or not. Oh, yeah, true. So that's that's kind of nice as well. 
Yep. And then and then when you pitch the blue to come with your weapon, they sigh because now they know they're getting juiced, right? Like it's it's uh or you know, you're like I've had entire red hands. Like I had a hand of just like three for uh three go again, three go again, three go again, three go again. The whole hand was just like starters and lava vein loyalties, and I just played out my whole hand, got a Phoenix Flame Yam for one. Like at no point did they have information, so they couldn't like um like prepare their quell, for example. Yeah, you kinda you kinda like and then that's like one of the more, I guess, like skill testing uh, yeah. aspects of the format you have to kind of imagine okay like based off of like what my opponent did they're five they attack me with a head jab like what what yeah. do we have yeah but it's like the hardest to do that when they start with the uh, rising resentment or yeah. running renegade definitely um so yeah so we're kind of I, th- I think it's kind of nebulous right now so let's let's give it some structure um uh, like for me it's like mounting anger red yeah it's kind of we're just talking about the go again ninja attacks. I think, yeah. um, no, that's the best. One. I guess we could take a step back and say, if I see a sash of Sandy Kai, I'm taking it. Okay. Um, that's pack one, pick one. I'm like, I'm super happy. Yep. Like, it's it attack one, pick two. I'm also super happy. Yeah. And I also am now questioning what my opponent took, right? Like, yeah, I, um, I think, I think, uh, Heat Wave also in, in that tier. Yep. yep. Uh, less so Tide Flippers. This uh, is kind of funny. Yeah, I, I take Tide Flippers pretty early when I have like a f- reasonable feeling that some Icelander cards are missing. And I look at the people that are passing Icelander and I'm like, those are some good drafters. <laughs> uh, it depends because like uh, if there's Icelander cards missing and I think that like it depends how many Icelanders I think there are. Actually, I'm like more inclined to take Tide Flippers if I think the Icelander is really open. Okay, that's fair. I understand what you mean. Yeah, because that means that there's this one really good or two really good Icelander drafters. Yeah, yeah. If if yeah. there's like three like middling Icelander decks, I don't feel like the need to take the type flippers that high. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, I often will pass out on the first cycle, but yeah. I just know that yesterday I you looked over, take I, see, I see Dalton. He's like on Icelander for sure. Like I just like I have a feeling. It's like yeah. a gut feeling. And I'm like it's a pick four type flippers. Give me the type flippers. <laughs> And then I faced him in the finals. It's great. Yeah, like I gotta play this guy. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um. Yeah. Uh. I think out of the other go again attacks. So you said that mounting anger is like your number one. I think rising resentment for me is number two. Uh, yep. Like you value Sasha Sandikai pretty high, but rising resentment as like kind of like a like a second attack in your chain, kind yep. of functions the same way, right? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, that card sometimes is a negative one resource go again. Mm-hmm. It is like what I think enables your craziest turns. Yep. And then after Just like the- rising resentment in general, like the yellow, the blue, like they're all like they all yep. can be busted because they're not at that point. It's not about damage. If you're playing the yellow, you're, it's about you know adding a draconic chain link and going up a resource on a card, which is like crazy. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Uh, I think after that. Um... To me, Ronan Renegade and Brand are the same card. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Brand is just a little bit better. It literally has text. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, yeah, and then after that, Soaring Strike is is not irrelevant. Like I've sometimes have um, given trade in go again, and then I grab the Phoenix Flame and I trade in trade it in for another card. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And I think. Like, yeah, like you can find ways to give it value, but um, you know, it's just like less relevant. But you don't value that giving like a zero or maybe like a one cost go again in your hand higher than the resource cost on the card yeah for sure for sure okay yeah after that it's just the two the two other like to episodes soaring strike and uh dust runner outlaw obviously yep. soaring strike has text on it and dust runner outlaw does not yep yep um, and uh yeah, so this is all kind of like the red stuff, the red go again stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think the next tier, like the, the next tier of like overall cards are just the blue block threes. Yeah. So that's the lava vein loyalty, the cinder or something. Yeah. Critical um, strike blue. Yep. Rapid reflex blue. Yeah, yeah. Sift blue. Yep. Um, that whole tier of uh, they just are very like, why do we care about? Our blues blocking three. Yeah. Well, if you draw two blues, yep. the best thing you can do almost always is just being like use one of the blues to block three. Yeah. That's I, like that blue just became a, a red head jab. I actually know? like Cinderskin Devotion the best out of all the blues because if you're drafting more zero cost go again attacks, um you can 
a lot of like your play patterns revolve around okay maybe use the extra resource to pick up the phoenix flame so if you have a two blue hand and you have like a cinder skin devotion you just get to convert that resource in the card into like two damage yep yep that's fair yeah attacking a lava vein loyalty blue never feels very good <laughs> it's fine at the end of the game when they're one yeah 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 <laughs> uh yeah and i think the next tier after that is just like the same thing that we just talked about but yeah. yellow okay yeah. yeah 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 i i would take yeah i would take blues in my into my deck before i take yellows with the exception that if i am doing my count and it's like towards the end of the draft i just like need go again attacks yep yep um, but that's something that you have to kind of just like keep track of uh, during yeah, your review exactly. periods. Yeah, uh, I think it's more just like if you have enough blues, mm -hmm. then you should prioritize the the go against because you know like you can always play more go against. Yeah, a good thing to do um, when you're doing these drafts uh, that are a little bit more structured, you can't like look at your pile in between picks or in between yeah in between picks. Uh, you can only look at your pile after each pack is we have like the rubric uh, at the beginning and then you just like uh you just do your count how many go against starters do i have how many blues do i have how many more do i need yep and, and it's not even that like crazy like it's not like oh i only have like three starters like oh i'm never gonna win a game you yeah, just yeah. like you have three starters you're going to pack three every starter you see yeah, you just, deck. yeah exactly, <laughs> yeah, exactly. um we didn't really talk about uh, finishers where they are like in this like priority list. For me, good finishers are actually like highest priority, even above starters. Really, I I had a feeling you would say that because of how high you value finishers. Yeah. Uh, I think that it could could be possible for me. Yeah. It's just like every table I feel like I draft at, mm -hmm. I never am forcing fly, so I end up in a situation in pack three. Yeah, yeah. Where I'm just like, it's a Ronin Renegade Red. Yeah, yeah. I have to take this. I pass. Like I, even like Blaze Headlong to me is almost like a fin it's like a finisher level power. Sure. And I just end up having to pass that card because I just like go into pack three and like two or three red starters. I actually have gone into pack three, have no red starters, and I still win the pot. It's just like I just have to like. Well, isn't that kind of like proving the point? Because because we're talking about like priority pick order, so this is like how you like navigate the beginning of the draft. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um. So it's like because in pack three, like you are presented with a choice, you're actually able to pick up um, starters that sure. that like it contributes to the overall power level of your deck if you pick up the finishers. So um, let's one of the points that we made earlier in this podcast episode is that Fi doesn't really have as high of a ceiling, and part of the reason is because there aren't. There aren't like a ton of cards that just like increase the overall power level of like your turns. Heat Wave, Sasha Sandikai, we talked about these cards a lot, um, kind of ad nauseum, but they add to like the overall power level of your deck. But then cards like Lava Burst, Critical Strike, <laughs> even just lets your hands do more damage than a Fi who is like only drafting go again attacks. Yes, I, I agree with that. Um, I'm just saying that the the floor. So we're talking about the ceiling, right? Like yeah. the floor of just being able to consistently do red starter mm -hmm. uh, that costs zero, red starter that costs one. Yeah, swing with the weapon, grab a phoenix flame, mm -hmm. and that's a three card hand, right? Like yeah, but to me, sword. to me, if you're drafting like a floor like five deck, like it depends how how good your your pods are because. If you're drafting at a table where you're, uh, where you're, where you're gonna like be pit, where there's like Icelander or like a, a draw my drafter that has like a stronger deck, like the only way that you can like really beat them, like you can't just like really beat them by like doing like the same old like whatever like ten card three, or ten damage three card hand whatever like over and over again, like you're just gonna lose. No, I actually think that, like it's, like, it's the mirror where I want those finishers, especially when I end up going first. Uh -huh. And against the other two heroes, I just want to do the bread and butter every turn. Okay. Um, it, to me, it's because like Dromai and Icelander are a little bit inconsistent. And so there's mm -hmm. going to be a turn where they can't be as consistent as you. And if you're just presenting the same, like it's it's like 14, right? Because it's a three plus a four plus a three. So that's 10 plus the one from the Phoenix Flame. And then mm -hmm. ideally that 
last card can give you three points of value either by blocking or it's also like a lava vein. Yeah. Um, like if you can just do that like three turns in a row, like most of the time I feel against a Dromai or Icelander, like they're not going to be able to like outvalue you. Mm. But exactly. in the mirror, I totally agree. Like, I think that's where these like lava bursts and 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 blaze headlong and, and all the one for fives are like mm. kind of how you like edge them out, right? Like, you block with a three card, you also got a one for five in. Yeah. He had a block of a two for some whatever reason. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess just a difference of opinion. Uh, either yeah. way, like the the point stands that like there's gonna be like some matches that you play where like in order to like push put yourself ahead of like the other five drafters like your yeah. deck is like better than theirs like you need like some of these cards yeah there's there <laughs> should be tension when you're when you're when you're given the choice of like a red ronin renegade versus a lava burst like you should be trying to decide between those two yeah, and, yeah. It, and i don't think there's necessarily i guess what i'm trying to say is that i don't think there's like necessarily always a right answer because like yeah yeah, yeah yeah it depends on your deck right like if you don't have enough red starters then yeah, yeah. take the run in renegade but if you do feel like you have enough red starters i totally understand taking the lava burst at that time yeah i, I mean i'm not I just like i, at, I don't think it's wrong yeah for me it's just at the very beginning of the draft when i don't know like which cards i need because there are more go again attacks in the set than there are sure. like yeah yeah this is like the red ender moss and a pie yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah no i agree with that i agree that, with that. that's how that I totally feel. makes sense yeah no uh, then we're on the same page i, I I'm, okay. I'm on your side then makes yeah. sense. okay uh next section that we were gonna talk about uh is kind of like sideboarding so we said at the beginning that you don't you don't have like that many sideboarding decisions usually because most of your cards are just like generally good uh, but there are some small like min max decisions that you can make yeah i think against dromai like obviously putting your six power attacks yep um typically that also means you might put in like one or two blues but most of the time those six power attacks are blocking so it's shouldn't be too much of a like a resource ratio consideration yep um but what usually does tip it for me one of the reasons i usually do put an extra blue is if i draft at any point rebellious rushes yeah i typically don't play that at all in the mirror we talked about why yep but against stromai i often will put them in because it's like very rare that i want to block against stromai i just want to and i don't know if you're on the same page here but i just want to shorten the game when i'm five versus dromai i want to get dromai into what we call the danger zone as quickly as possible because when we put them in the danger zone it is much more likely that we can keep them off from even having like yeah. any cards. But we're but like for Dromai to put Fi in the danger zone is a lot harder for uh -huh. them to like pressure. Yeah, I agree with that statement. Um, you can think about it this way. So, uh, if you are extending the game out, you're doing more blocking, so you're playing more like two card hands. Yeah. And if you're doing uh, if you're shortening the game, then you're you and your opponent are playing more three four card hands. Uh, yeah. if your, your like two card hand usually does around seven, yeah. a draw my two card hand can do like eight damage. Yeah. Uh, or yeah. they're, they can like block three, their one card hand, they dust up you like dust up is real good. Um, yeah. Yeah. So That's it's, zero for six. So it hits. Yeah. So it's just like, um, uh, draw my has these cards that are like much better. Like in when, when she's like blocking a little bit more. And she's trying to extend the game out so there's more turns where you just like kind of she just does like a, a one card like four to five or like a two card eight whatever and you just kind of have to like deal with that value if you are blocking then you can't like you can't do the same thing back to her yeah your one card does three your two cards do seven you're just like losing every single exchange and so that's why yeah i agree you just want to shorten the game put in the rebellious rushes yeah. you're not going to block anyways and also, the longer the game is, the more opportunity she has to get value from dragons. Even in Ashwing, attacking yep. once, attacking twice, like it just like, like the maximum amount of value you can do against a Dromai, besides, of course, just straight up Phantasm popping a dragon. Yeah, is killing Dromai when she has like a dragon in play. Yeah, right. Like I do want to say that if you are playing Fi, and this is a mistake that I've seen some Fi players make, uh, you gotta kill the Ashwings. You gotta kill the dragons yeah. unless yeah. you are presenting lethal and they have to block their whole hand out yeah uh you you really just like want to 
you want to avoid giving her any value from her yes. dragons attacking multiple times. I think in general, like without thinking too much, you should always just be prioritizing killing the dragons. And the only reason you get into these like almost prisoners dilemma situations where you're like, oh, I think I have to go face yeah. is you are behind. Mm -hmm. Right. And you do the math and you have enough damage where um, like oftentimes, like, you know, you assume that her hand can, especially if they have quell, then you yeah. can assume that the whole, their hand can block 12, including breakpoints. Yeah. If they don't have any quell, then, you know, your, your four attack, right? Like is usually going to be a damage. Yeah. You can start doing the math that way. Yeah. But you do need to do the math in the sense that like, on average, a, a normal hand, if every card blocks three is, you know, that's a 12, 12 health, right? Mm -hmm. So if they're at like four and you have 16 damage, yeah. then they're effectively dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if one of those cards is an Oasis Respite and they have Quell, the math gets a little convoluted at that point, but then they also could have a two blocked and that evens it out. But yeah, like, that's yeah. the type of math that I would do it's like a yeah, it's like a situation yeah, where like if, if the game like extends any longer, like you're going to be drawing into like blues. Yeah, yeah, like you need yeah. to just like put them into yeah. like the spot where they have to like block a card from their hand, even if it's like you're attacking for one, they have to block. Yep, yep, yep. If they have a Kylorian play and you're at like low life, they're at low life, and you just have to make a decision at that time because if you attack the Kylorian, you might just like give them that two health buffer that they actually needed to play another Kylorian. You know, like it's that's definitely like we don't recommend going face most of the time. Yeah, but being able to identify when it is time to go face is like a good combination of how desperate am I? The more desperate you are, the more willing you are to take a risk, right? Like they mm -hmm. can't have an Oasis. I can't, I can't beat the Oasis. I can't beat an all three block hand. I can't beat those cards. I have to go for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, so yeah, against Icelander, uh, some of the best cards that you can play are Oasis Respite if you have them and Healing Bomb. Yeah. These yeah. are cards that normally I do not like putting into my deck in versus Fi or versus <clears throat> Dromai. Yep. Sometimes I have been forced to just like to avoid playing cracked bobbles, but I mean, if you have the luxury of sideboarding, then yeah, these are the cards that you want to bring in against Icelander. Yeah. And then I have like a small sideboard like decision tree and yeah. I'll, I'll say it. And if you don't agree, just let me know, but let me, let me just uh, get through it. Yep. So I actually have a decision tree. If I have tide flippers, mm -hmm. I'm going to try to put in as many blues as possible up mm -hmm. to about like 13 is kind of where I feel like that's about it enough. Yeah. I don't think I will draft more than 13 most of the time. Uh, the reasoning for that is that's roughly like, uh, you know, 13 divided by 29 is like almost like one and a half per hand. Yeah. You have some hands that you have two, some hands you have one. Yep. Um, and we also, I think we're on the same page, at least on this part, we'll take out like red lava vein loyalty is like kind of the, the perfect card to take out for a blue. Yep. Um, because that card's main value is that it blocks three. And it attacks for three, but in this in the Icelander matchup, it can only attack three. It can't really block three. Yeah, agree. Um uh and we'll actually play in a way when we have tight flippers where we kind of want the game to go a little longer. So if it's damage agnostic, if there's like a situation where we could do two more damage or we could prevent two res uh two damage from using arcane barrier, yeah. Um, I lean towards preventing that damage, prolonging the game a little bit. Yeah. We we think that Icelander actually wants to get us in the danger zone as quickly as possible. And yes. we don't want to be in the danger zone. We want yeah. to like just keep chipping away because uh, on average per turn, you're going to deal damage to Icelander. Like if, unless they just don't arsenal, don't play the card from their arsenal. They'll the way that you know you, you have a Phoenix Flame, you have all these little attacks. Yeah. Like usually you'll be able to chip in like one or two points of damage. Yep. And if you just keep prolonging the game, you'll get Icelander to the danger zone, and not put you in the danger zone as quickly, much more easily. Mm -hmm. Now, if you don't have Tide Flippers. I typically play my game plan as if it's another Phi almost because um, I can't really interact, especially if I don't have that much Quell. Like I only have one Quell. I, I might put in one or two blues and that's only because of like Frostbites, not because I, I'm planning on actually Quelling or ABing. Yep. Um, and <laughs> instead of wanting the game to last long, I actually want the game to last short again because I don't want, because now the flip is, the script is flipped. What? Oh, the script is flipped. <laughs> Instead of us being able to chip in like one or two points of damage every turn, we're yeah. getting chipped almost every turn. In fact, we're getting chipped on our turn. Sometimes we're getting chipped on their turn. I want to make the game really short. So I don't know if that's kind of, I just wrote that in the notes and I don't know if that's kind of what you think. Um, I think that, yeah, you do want the game, like if you, if you can't block, you do want the game to go shorter. Uh, 
I, I do agree that you still want to board in some blues uh, so that you don't get your turn uh, locked up by some frostbites. Yeah. I think that um, it depends. Like, if you have access to Oasis Respites or Healing Bombs and you have, like, maybe, like, Heat Wave and, like, another piece of qual equipment, I think that you can honestly play the like the same way as if you have Tide Flippers. Uh, if you have literal no defenses, then that's like another story altogether. Okay. Okay. But, so if you have like two Quell. Yeah. yeah. If if you have if you have access to like two Quell and like like one or two Oasis respites and like healing bombs, I think it's still acceptable to to kind of not want to like play like this like a little, a little longer game. I think the biggest danger against Icelander is that if 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 they're just like yamming their their turn like every single turn uh and uh they have like two and three damage blues in their deck um basically they're each card in their hand roughly does like three because uh, they they can't like really go over the like three damage yep. per per card thing yep. uh your hands can do i don't know like 14 to 15 let's say but if they have this is like a lot of this is like pretty deep in the math but like if if they get like an extra turn like you're essentially starting a game at 14 or 15 and they're starting the game at 18 so you go like plus two every turn uh but they can kill you in the span of um three turns so yeah it's like a going first going second kind of thing i'm not entirely sure what like the best line is but i feel like if actually if you have like literal no defenses and they go first and they do like any damage to you it's like kind of scary yeah that's true that actually reminds me we actually do a poor job i don't think we talk about it at all in the drama games yeah uh, podcast but as phi i always want to go second i don't care who it is yeah, if it's yeah. Icelander, I want to go second. I have Helios Miter. I might leak one or two points of damage. I just want to go second. Yeah. Against Dromai, I want to go second. They yeah. make some Ash for free. Then maybe they make a Dragon. And they Arsenal card. That's the same thing as like a Healing Mom plus a card. Yeah. Like, I'm fine with that. I want to go second. In the Mirror, of course I want to go second. If I don't go second, I sometimes just lose. <laughs> yeah. I would say that if you're... The only time that I would want to go first is like in the situation that I just uh, brought up. If you have literal no defenses against Icelander like at all, you have like no defensive cards, your deck is like all gas and you're... And, and you want to shorten the game, I think you do want to go first because I think it is kind of reasonable to be able to chip like Icelander for like two or three damage. But I actually argue, this, hand. but like, can't you just like heal your spider and when they attack you, and then you're never gonna AB or quell anyway? So every turn is just gas, 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 gas. You can heal your spider, but if your hand, if your deck is like all gas, like them hitting you with like a five, a five into a two, and then arsenaling a card is like pretty bad for you in the race. Because then, because then, like you're taking like like in the situation that I brought up earlier, like if they arsenal, um. If they arsenal like a like a two or three at the end of the game, you're starting at fourteen. If they do like two damage to you, you are starting at twelve. So they kill you actually in two turns. So they can just like no blocks like a whole a whole turn, do twelve damage to you again, uh, and then you're dead. I I think the break point is that if they can do like th two or three damage to you, if they can do two or three damage to you, you're dead in two turns. If this is like if you literally cannot block like anything after the Helios Miter. Yes. Yes. That, I mean, the maximum damage you can do is seven. Hmm? On, if they go first, the maximum the maximum amount of damage you can do is seven. Yeah, yeah. So it's, so, so it's just like if you can only block. You have all blues or sorry, all reds. You take five damage. Oh my god. Yeah. If you if you I mean if you have like one blue, then you take four. If you have two blues, you take like two or three. three. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's just like, I, I think that's like a very specific, like math thing yeah. that might be like a little bit over like most people, most people's yeah. heads. It's, it's just like a very like niche situation. I you're agree like in general. And you don't have any quell. Like you have just like, you're just naked. You yeah, just have a little... yeah. You have to have, you have to have no quell, no healing palms, no respites. So just like literally nothing that can prevent like one point of damage. 
Yeah, that is the only okay. situation that I would want to go first against Icelander. Okay, I could see that. I, my decks have never ended like that, so maybe that's like. <laughs> no, <I'm just> kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, it's it's good to like. There is some flexibility in this game. Um, you have to like yeah, kind of be yeah. aware of these edge cases. It's not a hundred percent correct to always do what we say. There's yep. definitely going to be exceptions. It's just identifying those exceptions. Yeah, yeah. All right, so we haven't talked about the the kind of the, the least fun part of this is and that's the mirror yeah um i think the mirror is just about math it's just like you can kind of get a feel of how much damage your opponent's dealing mm -hmm. and you can kind of get a feel for how much your hand's dealing so one of the easiest things the easiest ways to math it out is rising resentment red if you block with it you lost a point of damage yep <laughs> you know what i mean like that's what the whole mirror feels like yeah like, I how do i get my opponent to to block with their rising resentment instead of attacking with it yeah, I think you want to like you want to block, uh, you want like as many block threes to like do it efficiently yep. as possible. Actually, yeah. one point is that I wanted to make is that if you do have call equipment, that you kind of want to save it for when the Phi decks both kind of uh, eventually like run low on reds, and you you know like how you get to like this point, like where you draw like a like a two or three blue hand, and you end up attacking like. Blue head jab oh, yeah, to like totally. a lava vein yeah. loyalty. Dude, the one blue um, plus a quell in that situation like blocks like th three cards. Yeah, two and a half. Yeah, I, I totally know what you mean. Um, That's like something that is very important, but I don't know about you. I've never gotten second cycle with the... <laughs> it's, it's it's not it's not I, I don't even think about it as second cycle, but it's like I think uh, especially like if you're going first, it's like one of the ways that you can win the game. Uh, like you need to have like the quell... Uh, on the turn that it like blanks um, when they're like putting you like kind of low and you're at like one or two life and they're just trying to like get like like their little chips in yeah to me I think it's just, to me that's like the like, only way that like you can your insurance policy to force it so that the fi is never like putting you at like two or three and the, so i think it's like this there's there's two things that need to happen yeah you need to be basically losing the race and kind of you're in the danger zone yep and the fi needs to draw a hand that just like has like two or three blues and now the correct play for the five is to actually block when you're attacking them with your weaker attack, like your maybe like your two card attack. Yeah. Because if they don't block and they actually start to try to pressure your life total with those blues, mm -hmm. you can get so much value from Quell. Yeah, yeah. But I think like that's like the because if they just have like a normal like red, red, like blue, yellow hand, like your Quell's not gonna save you. Yep, yep. You're just like forcing them, and that's actually a good thing. It's like your quells of being offensive because I really think like a smart player that's able to do the math, able to realize, oh, they can get so much value from their quell. I should block. Like by blocking, you've all you're also giving, you're also giving the other guy like that tempo, that leeway because blocking almost always is just like inefficient. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so <clears throat> when we're talking about like playing five, I think that's like one of the ways. That's like one of the only ways that you can like kind of flip, flip the script against them. Yeah. Particularly yeah. if you're going first. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, I, I think it's like, a, it's harder to flip the script switch with one single card. It's like accumulation of um, like one extra damage here. I attacked with a red, you attacked with a yellow. Yeah. yeah. I blocked with a three, you blocked with a two. Yep. Um, like little itty bitty pieces of value like that. Like, like, you know, even mounting anger hitting. You had no cards, but oh, now I get my Phoenix claim back that you didn't do the math or you don't care. Like, but I got an extra plus one. Yep. So like, just like, being able to do that and like doing that two or three times, getting a whole card's worth of value. Like if you went first, you got like two or three points of damage and you got an arsenal card. So instead of losing out on four potential cards, you only lost out on two potential cards. And like getting these like plus ones here and there helps you like bridge that gap. Mm -hmm. I think that also the biggest advantage, honestly, is just having the sash and having the heat wave. Cause those two cards just like you basically got an extra card and a half those two cards yeah i guess this is what's what's contributing to the fact that a lot of like the mirrors just like don't feel good because if it, maybe it feels like a little bit deterministic based off of how the drafts went like do yeah. you have like the cards that enable you yeah. to win the matchup yeah because if you go second and you have heat wave and sash advantage it's just like your opponent's basically starting at like 15 yeah it's really hard to like you have to get supremely unlucky draw all your blues yeah. in the same hand yeah yeah <clears throat> And they all block too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I think in the end, this episode is going to be like a little bit 
uh, usually I end up like editing um, and making and, and cutting it up a little bit to make uh, everything a little bit more coherent. But I think we're just going to be like a little bit all over the place here. Uh, but I hope that this discussion is useful for you when you're uh, drafting Phi at your, maybe you have like a, a draft RTN in the last like couple of weeks for RTN, but also like when you're going to go play at Nationals. Yep. And just like, you know, your armory events. I think the, I think each of these type of events kind of requires a different mindset, but by learning how to play them, you kind of get to see like what works, what doesn't work. Um, I, you know, I think one of the, like drafting Phi is one of the things that like at a base feels really simplistic, but I feel like there's a lot of min-maxings that you guys can definitely do to improve. And, you know, you might not see that improvement immediately because these are a lot of these are just like plus two, plus three percenters. Mm -hmm. But uh, like doing them is just good practice. Yep. All right. With that being said, I got to put, put my decks together, uh, pack up <laughs> and get ready to fly out. So uh, hopefully we'll have uh, next week. I think we're going to be doing uh, something with uh, Michael Hamilton and Roger Bodie. Yeah. Uh, and then, so we'll do like an event recap, uh, and thank you so much for listening. I think in the future, we're going to have something about like reviewing, about submitting reviews just to help us, uh, get a little bit more visibility, but, um, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Until next time, guys. Thanks so much for listening.